from the Scottsdale studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another Foxy episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. Let's say a fox takes up residence in your backyard. Is this a good thing because they eat mice and voles, or is it a bad thing? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's You Bet Your Garden, we'll review the good and bad points about foxy foxes. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right. We will take that heaping helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and frequently foghorned frackifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you going, oh, but they're so cute, right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, Lady has a fox in the backyard that doesn't seem to want to leave. What are her options and are there any dangers or positive aspects to this? We're also going to take lots more of your fabulous phone calls, but first, of course, we have to have our book report, basically our book club, which is now closed for entries. This is, oh my goodness, this is one week this is one week of postcards, cats and kittens. So I think the giveaway is going to extend into um, the end of the next presidency, but we're not accepting any more postcards now, nothing after uh, February 1st. And, but we will probably bring it back in the summer. We'll call it a summer reading club or something like that. Anyway, this week's book is a book called Seven Flowers and How They Saved the World by Jennifer Potter. And it's going to bum, 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 bum. I know not to depend on you guys for sound effects. Mrs. Marty, actually, Ms. Marty Ostevine, O-O-S-T-E-E-N, in Douglasville, PA who writes, I am a transplant from the Netherlands, gardening now in Douglasville. You can see how my garden grows at martysgarden.us. Well, Marty sent a beautiful picture of a boidy. Uh, what do we got here? It looks like a scarlet tanager or something, a reddish finch. Marty, you get the Seven Flowers book. We're going to be giving books away, but no more postcards, cats and kittens. But... I want to tell you about another book. My publisher, Fox Chapel Press, likes me so much that they produced a fifth edition of my famous book, The You Bet Your Garden Guide to Growing Great Tomatoes. Now, of course, you know, you see that I actually had to look at the cover to read the title. That's how up I am on this stuff. So it's a brand new edition. Um, it just came out. You'll find it wherever books are sold. And you may be able to win one. Fox Chapel, my publisher, is running a little contest online with five top prizes 
Uh, one of the prizes is, of course, a copy of my book. But even cooler, one of the other prizes is this special, it says 10-pack of seeds from the Berkey, Burpee? Berkey Company. Yes, they're changing their name constantly. I can't keep up with it. It's the W. Atley Burpee Company. Here you go. Pick a card, any card. Don't worry, I got it in my pocket. Anyway, it's not 10 packs of seeds. It's 11 because they're including their new tomato previewed and featured this year called Bodacious, which is, of course, named after me. And you'll also get a $10 gift certificate from Burpee. We'll have all the information up at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, and also at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Okay, up later on in the show, I am also going to provide an important news report on Fanny the Emu, who escaped from her enclosure on Friday. We have new news about Fanny the running away emu. You won't want to miss it. And you won't. It's coming up after lots of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Stephanie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. How are you, Steph? I am fantastic. Excellent. Where is Stephanie fantastic? Bordentown Township, New Jersey. Okay. What can we do for Stephanie in the Garden State? Well, I, uh, about a year ago, I, um, after listening to your, your show, I started up a worm bin. Good. And I've had a great, successful worm bin for about a year. And then last month, I think I might have, um, might have made a boo-boo with it. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I have a gecko, a pet gecko, who eats uh, live mealworms that I buy at the pet store. Oh, okay. Does he and... sell car insurance on the side? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. He does not save me money on my car insurance. Boy, if you could live off his residuals, you could retire, man. <laughs> I got the lazy gecko, it turns out. <laughs> okay. Hey, that just gave somebody an idea for a new commercial. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so so the, the mealworms I buy, they come in little tubs of uh, what looks like sawdust and you know, they don't last real long. They, you keep them in your refrigerator. So, and, and <laughs> Just but, in case somebody comes around <laughs> looking for, like, dip or something, right? Snacks for guests, yes. It, it's, uh, it, it's great fun, great fun. But uh, inevitably, they, they, the little things die, and I usually just dump it in the, in the trash and be done with it. Mm -hmm. But I got a great idea to dump it in the worm bin. Oh, okay. Well, uh yeah, out well, the technically, weren't all dead. Yeah, and technically, they're meat, not not well, not vegetable matter. I mean, animal, vegetable, mineral. Take your choice. They're certainly not minerals. So, well, what I thought was left was their little exoskeletons that right. they shed. Mm -hmm. um, turns out that there were either some some eggs or something something still alive in there, and they decided that my worm bin was a great uh, environment oh, for breeding. Yeah. So you have a new career now selling mealworms to all your other herpetologist friends. I could do that. I could take it that way, although I do have to say I'm spending a lot less money on, on gecko food. Yeah. So are you harvesting? I am, um, but I'm not quite keeping up. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess my, you know, my concern is, is uh, you know, these little things are eventually going to uh, become beetles. Oh, okay, and so I was wondering, because 
I'm not that familiar with mealworms. A lot of times the suffix worm means a caterpillar, but sometimes mm -hmm. it, it can mean a beetle. Do you know what kind of beetle it becomes? From what I can tell, I think they're dark, a type of darkling beetle. Huh. Okay. They're, they're small, um, three-eighths inch maybe. And, and, you know, come to think of it, after I had looked, done some research, I do remember periodically when I'll, I'll get a batch of these things from the pet store and there'll be a little tiny black uh, beetle in there. So that's apparently the adult stage of these, uh, these mealworms. And the gecko will eat the beetle. I haven't tried. Wasn't that one of their first albums, Eat the Beatles? Uh. I'm sorry. It's been, I, I, I've been off for a while. Well, this is interesting. No problem. This is interesting. Um, first, so I, I, guess I, my... I think you should go into business. I think you should, um, you know, have a live bait stand out by the edge of the road. Your neighbors <laughs> will love it, for instance. It really increases the values of the nearby homes. Oh, I'm sure. Now, you say a, quote, darkling beetle. Have you investigated the beetle itself, like where it's native to? I have not. Um, many ground beetles, and it sounds like you have a ground beetle, oh, like a rove beetle or something like that. These are tremendous beneficial insects. They eat slugs. You know, the big ones eat slugs. Oh. I have slugs. The small ones eat soft-bodied pests like aphids and those little white things whose name is escaping me right now. But um, I would investigate Darkling Beetle. Um, sounds like a kid's cartoon. And see where it's native to and see if it is a beneficial creature. There might be absolute value in releasing them into your garden in the spring or summer. Um, but obviously, if it says they're, you know, from some faraway place and they can be garden pests, then I think you just keep harvesting your mealworms. Now, um, isn't your gecko lonely? Wouldn't he or she like to have a gecko family? It'd be like sea monkeys. You could... <laughs> You could watch them, get them in a big aquarium. They could play cards for your amusement, little shuffleboard table, something like that. I, I'll have to look into that. Um, unfortunately, I, when I, I thought I was getting a female gecko and named uh, her Penelope and found out it's a male so, gecko after gecko puberty right. turned out to be Mr. P now. And uh, I, guess the, <laughs> I don't the know male... that we can air that step. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, well, then I think he needs a Penelope in his life. I'll, and, have to, I'll have to see how he feels about that. And then you'll be grandmom to like all these little geckos. It'll be the circle of life. Uh, I, that, that doesn't sound like a bad idea, really. Yeah. Um, but I'm serious. Do some research, and I'll do it myself as well. If you shoot me an email, mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you what I can find out. But it sounds like uh, if it's the right kind of beetle, it will really prowl in your garden and do some good work. We just have to be careful not to release any, any bad beetles. Right, right.
Yeah, my other my other concern too was if the if the mealworm population in the bin gets out of control, are they going to outcompete my my red wrigglers? Um, uh, for probably not, but the adults might eat them. Oh. The adult beetles would probably eat your red wigglers. Now, I had a situation with my worm bin years ago where it was just overwhelmed with fruit flies, and I, it was summer. So I just decided to take the whole thing outside, dump it into compost piles, isolate, you know, just a couple of quarts of worm castings, and just put as many clean red worms into it as I could and poke holes in the top and everything like that. And then I kind of forgot about it until we had enough garbage put together again and I rinsed off the um, the worm bins, all the trays and everything like that. The flies were out of the house at that point and I rebuilt it and I just seeded it with the red worms and the leftover castings. And within, I would say six weeks, the thing was thriving again. All the trays oh. were filled with worms. So, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. they reproduce like worms. You know, <laughs> they do. All right, what what an right. interesting conundrum. Um, a fascinating question. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Been a pleasure speaking with you, Steph. You too. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. And now, from the You Bet Your Garden newsroom, a very important story. Now, this isn't current. We're taping this bit a couple weeks in advance. But a couple weeks ago, on a Friday, our local newspaper, the investigative mastermind of the Lehigh Valley, The Morning Call, reported that an emu named Fanny had escaped from a home where there was another emu and all sorts of other animals and was on the loose. Well, we were all wondering what happened to Fanny? What would happen to Fanny? At this point, we're worried about her. Well, I'm happy to read you an edited excerpt from the report on Sunday. Fanny the emu is back home safe. Fanny the emu, after the trip of a lifetime that spanned multiple townships and close to 15 miles, is back home and unharmed. Now, we were happy about that till we read the rest of the story. Though it was a scare for her owner, Shania Darrow, it was likely more of a joyride for the flightless bird, who leaped out of her enclosure in Lower Saucon Township Friday morning and was on the loose for more than two days. She didn't want to come home, said Darrow. She was on an adventure, and she clearly wanted to keep adventuring. Now, Franny's, <clears throat> now, Fanny's journey started at Darrow's mother's house on Wilhelm Road, where the seven-month-old emu was staying with her mate, an eight-month-old emu named Pete. Pay attention to this. I think Pete takes a bigger role in this story. Fanny, five feet tall and about 70 pounds, shared the enclosure measuring 40 yards by 40 yards with no net on top. 
So according to sightings reported by social media posts, the bird had an opportunity and ran with it into neighboring Williams Township and along Route 413 in Hellertown and then south into Springfield Township in Bucks County. The creature was cornered further south in Haycock Township on Pullen Station Road around 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. She was unharmed, only losing a few feathers in the capture. Now, here we go. Pete was excited to see his mate come back again, showering her with pecks and kisses. Fanny, however, was disinterested, not having any of it. So, was Fanny just a runaway young lady having a great time, or was she escaping an unloving relationship? I blame Pete. You Bet Your Garden recognizes our right to bring you important news stories whenever we feel like it. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will descend upon the greater D.C. area to appear at the Spring Home Show at the Dulles Expo Center in Chantilly, Virginia on February 22nd and 23rd. But don't go looking for all the details at the event section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with the many ways you can outbox a fox in your backyard and take more of your foxy phone calls. You're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. <laughs> Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we'll tell you how you might be able to outfox a fox that has taken up residence in your backyard. But mostly, we're going to be taking your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Anthony, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Good morning, Mike. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm getting over a cold, but I think we'll make it. Okay, well, it, it gives you a nice deep voice. We appreciate that. And where is Anthony getting over a cold? Williamsburg, Virginia. Oh, okay. What a beautiful... My brother is there uh, right now. He, they, he and his wife love the historic area down there. 
Yeah, it's fun to take kids there this time of year. We get them hot cider and uh, walk them around in a cold tire mat and put them to sleep. Yeah, that's right. And uh, what kind of cider would that be, Anthony? <clears throat> Uh, well, I mean, for the kids, it's Soft uh, the tame kind. Yeah. The tame kind. <laughs> All right. What can we do for you, sir? Well, I have some tree questions for you, if uh, if you can bear with me. I sent you an email a while back. I bought my wife some fruit trees. They're mm-hmm. coming bare root, uh, and I have never had fruit trees before. Uh, and uh, I wanted to just had some general stewardship of trees questions for you. Um, Excellent. Excellent. First thing, They're not there yet, right? Then, no, they'll be they'll arrive in March. Okay, excellent. What what kind of fruit? So I bought six apples. Whoa. Two cherries. Mm-hmm. Two uh, two cherries, two plums, two pears, and a pomegranate. Oh my goodness! So this is your new career. <laughs> well, we moved to Williamsburg from Northern Virginia via Northern California. Okay. And uh, I bought eleven acres and. Decided I was going to have, you know, I used to live out in the country. We always had a garden. We always had animals. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that again for my kids. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so they're going to be arriving bare root. The first thing I'm going to tell you, you'll not find in any book. But when they arrive, take them out of their wrappings, get them out of that plastic if they send it, and put each tree's bare roots into a bucket of clean water. Um, if you have a well, that's fine. Otherwise, rainwater. Try not to use oh, I'm tap on a well. water. So you're on a well. Yep. Okay, good. So put each tree's roots in a bucket of water <clears throat> for 24 hours. Um, you can put multiple trees in the same bucket, you know, because they won't be that big. But bare root often means why do these trees look dead? And because they have been out of the ground since the fall, and they're very dehydrated. So to saturate them, hydrate them when they arrive, doubles your chance of success. When you plant them, you want to pick a spot that is high on your property. You don't want to plant in any low spots, because those are the spots that will collect frost first. And even... In your part of Virginia, you can have a late frost in the spring, and if the apple varieties, especially that you have selected, bloom early, you want them up as high as possible in the landscape. That doesn't mean to make them artificially high, but again, don't plant down at the bottom of a hill or something like that. Uh, I spread the apples in pairs early, mid, and late bloom, so I, and early, mid, and late uh, harvest. That's excellent. That's very smart. So, I would... so when you plant them, ignore all the advice to improve the soil in the planting hole. You want them not to have a little island of good soil around their roots, because then the roots will stay inside that womb and they won't reach out into the surrounding soil. So you want to practice tough love here. You fill the hole back up with the soil you removed. You also want to plant them high in the hole. If the tree appears to look like a lollipop when you're done, pull it up and plant it a little bit higher so that you can at least see the beginnings of the root flare above ground. Then you improve the soil by spreading two inches of compost all around the tree. The best yard waste compost you can find. 
Uh, begin it about six inches away from the trunk. You never want to mulch the trunk itself, but take it as far out as you expect the canopy will grow. And apple trees especially are going to grow very fast. Mm. And um, I don't think, well, when they start to green up, take a good look at all the trees. You're probably going to have a dead branch here or there or something that just looks completely out of place. So They're, they're supposed to be shipped feathered. I assume that means they clip most of the branches back? Uh, well, we'll find out. <laughs> That's fair. That That's could fair. also uh, be a reference to feathering the roots out into, oh, okay. into an umbrella shape. But we'll see. Um, if there's nothing dead and nothing out of place, you don't have to do anything the first year. Um, okay. Don't feed them anything other than refreshing that mulch of compost. And then beginning the second year... Uh, you'll want to be pruning them. Um, so you got apples, they need to be pruned. Cherries don't need to be pruned. What were the other fruits? Pears and plums and pomegranate because I had to get one that was going to be ridiculous for me to grow in my area. Yes, exactly right. So make sure that's in a sheltered location, the pomegranate. Like if you have an area right next to a barn, especially facing south or something like that, you want to grow that okay. in the protected area. Other than that, I know nothing about pomegranates. Uh, but the other plants you mentioned, pears don't need to be pruned. The only time you need to prune a pear tree is if it puts on so much fruit that it's dragging the branches down to the ground. So the pears, the plums, uh, the cherry trees, they're going to be very low care. But the apple trees will need to be pruned every year to open up the center keep airflow going good in there because they're prone to disease. <clears throat> and also, if, a, you know, really some sources will say you can remove up to one-third of the branches every season. My experience is you should remove about one-third of the branches. So if you've gotten rid of anything that looks damaged and you've opened up the center of the tree, then start removing any branches pointing straight up because they are not likely to bear fruit. Okay. Um, but that's it. Um, if you prune every year diligently and you feed the trees only with a mulch of compost, you're not going to have any problems. The, the, what are the sizes of the cherry trees? Are they standards? Uh, no, I bought everything either dwarf or semi-dwarf. Okay. And, and I bought, their, uh, to be clear, they're sour cherries. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, we can't grow sweet cherries, I believe, on this side of the Rockies, really. Um, uh, we had a little bit of it at home in Jersey growing up, but no, nothing crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, the term sour cherry is often a misnomer. I have a, a close friend with a, quote, sour cherry tree, and they were delicious to eat right off the tree. Mm. So I think they, uh, you know, basic, they, you know, tree to tree. Uh, can be very different. With the cherries, you're going to have to do bird protection if you want to get any cherries. Uh, it's worse than blueberries. The birds love the cherries. So be prepared. And it's not just going to be throwing netting over the trees because the birds just roost on the netting and eat the cherries through the net. If, uh, if you want to be prepared and you're handy, knock out a little bit of framing around the trees so that you could throw netting over the framing 
and mm. then step inside this area, but it'll be difficult to get for birds to get in. Although they will about, fly. Go ahead. I was say, how about deer protection? Because I have uh, about a herd of seven deer that live in my yard. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that. So when you plant the trees, are they coming with tree guards? Is that included? Probably not. Yeah. No. So you want to make sure you purchase tree guards. It's uh, white plastic that you wrap around the tree, and that will protect the trees from uh, deer and rabbits nibbling on the bark. When the tree is very young, that mm -hmm. bark is deliciously tasty. Um, you know, remove, well, you can't. You know, if you've got the deer around all the time, you're going to want to have that tree guard on there uh, for the first couple of years at least. And remember that browsing height is 36 inches. When uh, a mature, normal deer comes into your garden, the first stuff they'll eat will be at 32 to 36 inches off the ground. So that's the area you most need to protect. I've had people claim that the deer have gotten up on their hind legs to eat apples out of uh, the tree. I have pictures of it. <laughs> well, um, you know, I will tell you that the most extreme protection I ever saw, but which was 100% effective, was people actually fenced in their grove with fencing over top uh, to keep birds out. And they had a door so they could go in and out. There was a uh, bed and breakfast in um, Long Swamp near Ming, and they did this to protect their blueberry harvest, and it was remarkably effective. You could see the birds tossing these people the bird all the time because they were uh, <laughs> not allowed in. But yeah, um, deer repellents are not especially effective. They need to be refreshed all the time. You really need them... Uh, to spray them in a very concentrated form. But I don't know if you've heard me speak about it before, but motion-activated sprinklers are a great deterrent to deer. Deer are a big target. So when they would come into your orchard, they would trigger the sensor, and the sprinkler would then hit them with a high-impact shot of cold water. So mm. that is a, a very inexpensive way to deter deer. There's also a device called the wireless deer fence. And this is a guy, I forget exactly where he lives, but he makes them in his garage. Uh, they are incredibly effective. They, uh, they have a little belly where you put a couple of AA batteries in there. And uh, then there's a place to install a scent pellet at the top. You put the scent pellet in, it attracts the deer, the deer lick the top of the thing, which is a, a metal thing that's connected to the batteries, they get a mild shock and they go away. If you can uh, shock all the deer in your herd at the beginning of the season, they'll find someplace else to browse. Yeah, I mean, we literally just moved into the house, we just finished building the house. And so now it's now, now daddy gets to have hobbies again. Yes, exactly. So, right. Uh, so I've got uh, basically a garden growing in my basement. And so I was worried about all the deer problems that I'm going to have this summer, but uh, not not there yet. Well, you uh, might want to investigate true deer fencing. But I'll tell you, the motion activated sprinkler, uh, a couple of them, especially if you have uh, if the trees are separated by large distances, it's remarkably effective. I'll invest in a couple. Yeah. All um, right. 
So <laughs> I, I wish you luck. Uh, have fun on your great adventure. I, I did have one other tree question, if I can pick your brain. Uh, and it comes from all the conversations of spotted lanternfly. Oh, don't uh, I, I would not worry about them. They have not yet been sighted in your area, to the best of my knowledge. Um, no, I agree. But I've got a, a probably 40 trees of heaven growing in the wood line. Okay, well, the, the advice is to cut those down. So ju just cut them down will kill them? Uh, or do I have to? So I've heard I have to paint them with herbicide. I no. have to do all kinds of crazy yeah, you stuff. You never have to use an herbicide. I learned a great trick uh, from people who were battling a very invasive tree up in, uh, up in the north. And that's after you cut down the tree, leave a stump that's about a foot high, and just nail a tin can over top of it, like uh, a Del Monte string bean can, or a cat food can, or a dog food can. Just nail that down, and it won't re-sprout. Like turned down over it, like cupped over it? Yes, correct. Or, yeah. Huh. Open spot down towards the ground, covered spot on top, one nail, move on. Uh, I'm it. All right, good Sounds luck, great, Anthony. Sir. Thank you so much for all your help. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Are you still flat earth gardening? Are you watering your garden in the middle of the night? Are you cutting your lawn so low that dirt blows out the back of the mower? Well, stop doing all those things and make a call to me, Mike McGrath at You Bet Your Garden at 833-727-9588 and I will learn you how to do it correctly. Call before midnight tonight so you don't forget. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the fabled Philadelphia Flower Show on Wednesday, March 4th at 4 p.m. Now, plan to get there early because speakers this year only have 20 minutes to present and reading my bio takes 15. But don't go planning your route to the show just yet because we'll be right back with the many ways you can deal with a fox and many more of your foxy phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute TV and Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will get to the question of the week. How to outfox a fox that wants to live in your backyard. But before we get to that fabulous information, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Allison, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thanks so much. Well, thank you, Allison. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> um, where Where is Allison good? We are in Buckingham, Pennsylvania, just outside of Doylestown. Oh, okay. Not far from Philadelphia. Right. All right. What can we do for Allison in Buckingham? Sounds so classy, doesn't it? So, it sounds very classy. Um, I should make so, you speak with a British accent or something. You know. That would be horrible for both of us. <laughs> um, so we have, I'm hoping you can help us with this. We have about, if I would guess, maybe 200 feet of hedges. Mm -hmm. We think it's a privet hedge. Right. Um, and the previous owners, which is going back about 20 years, mm -hmm. planted uh, ivy underneath the hedges. So the hedges Oh, uh, gee, Allison, I'm sorry. We're a little short this week, <laughs> so thanks for calling. And um, our show is produced by... No. no. Oh, man, you're in a world of trouble. Well, you know what? We, we uh, the, the hedges look great mm -hmm. for the first, I'm going to say, 10 years. Right. And then they started to get, you know... A little thinned out and started to look worse and worse and worse. And I thought, hmm, maybe that ivy growing on those hedges, choking all the vines, has something to do with it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So I started to pull it out uh, a couple years ago, probably cut it back and pull it out. And then I was like, we got to figure out. We had to have another option because it's just it's overwhelming. We would do nothing all weekend long except for pull these, you know, pull these vines out. Mm -hmm. So do I have any options? What's underneath the hedges? Is there any kind of mulch? There used to be there used to be mulch um, under there. We actually early on, if we had known better, we would have pulled out whatever little vines were growing, um, and we used to mulch over it. Right. So I think there is there is some, but it's been years. Okay, so, so they haven't been mulched in a while. Right. Okay. Um, one option, and this is no joke, and I should ask Umar if this is even accurate, but I don't know if you've been watching the show or listening to the show for a while, but every couple of years I bring on my old friend uh, Umar, who has a company called I Don't Want Poison Ivy. And he has a whole crew that comes out to the house and eliminates all the poison ivy roots and all. Now, obviously your ivy is not allergenic to most people, although right. I'll, I'll tell you that some people do react um, to English ivy and Irish ivy and um, and the other ones, it, uh, you know, they all have oils on them. Right. At any rate, you might want to hire somebody like Umar, who does not use herbicides or anything like mm -hmm. that, who does it all physically. 
Mm -hmm. If you want to do it yourself, I would work the hedges. Is it growing in front, in back, underneath? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, I would pick, like, what's reasonable for a day? 40 feet a hedge, 50 feet? Maybe, yeah, maybe 40 or 50 feet if I get the kids out there to help. Yeah, I would. Um, I would. They owe you their lives. <laughs> so, um, using pruners, you mm -hmm. would cut the vines off at the soil line. Right. And then, boy, um, I'm trying to think what the best material to use here. My mind is thinking of some sort of metal, some sort of, you know, metal that is thick, but mm -hmm. that you can cut into little squares using a pair of wire cutters. And every place where a big root comes out of the ground, mm -hmm. I would pound a piece of metal over top, and then when you get done the whole schmageggy for the day, the 40, mm -hmm. 50 feet, right. then I would mulch that um, with something solid like arborist wood chips. You know, not the terrible dyed wood they sell, uh, but true arborist wood chips from a tree trimming crew. Perhaps you can contact your local utility company and, uh, you know, see if they'll drop off a load of trimmings. Um, they often will. We have um, a bunch of trees that we just had the um, stumps ground. Right. Can we use the, those um, stump grounds to mulch with? Yeah, I don't see why not. That essentially becomes arborist wood chips. Okay. You know, it's not sawdusty, right? It's it's relatively right. large chunks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that would do the job. Okay. And then, you know, the next day or a couple days after, you know, do the next lane, so to speak, mm -hmm. and um, continue, you know, putting down that initial cover mm -hmm. and then covering that... If you like the privet and or whatever the hedge is and you wanted to try to come back, then don't use deeper than two, ish, uh, two issues. Two inches. Two inches of wood chips. Okay. And, you know, break it up into, you know, sections so you're not out there every day, day after day. Do something different the two or three days afterwards. And the work will go quickly. And when you're done... You should simply keep an eye out for any new sprouts. And your choice, of course, then is, is to also trim them off. Now, the interesting thing is if they have to come up through even two inches of wood chips, mm -hmm. they're going to be spindly. They're okay. going to be weak. So you can kind of taunt them if you'd like. And then your choices would be either just clip them off because they're going to get weaker and weaker every time they show again, or you can spray them with full-strength white vinegar, being careful not to hit the, uh, the hedges. Or you might want to try one of the new herbicides based on iron. Now, these iron herbicides are broadleaf herbicides, but they're not going to work on ivy leaves. Just on, um, because ivy, as you know, it's covered with a waxy coating that right. sheds any kind of spray. But um, the new shoot coming up, I don't think it would enjoy being covered with iron. Okay. So, you know, there is no choice but uh, to be physical and mechanical. But with a little bit of cleverness on your part and mine, we should be able to keep it 
from regrowing. And gotcha. let, please let this be a lesson to everybody else. Don't plant ivy outside where you're not willing to let it cover a wall or colonize something. And for God's sake, don't throw away a house plant into your like compost pile or whatever that has ivy in it. I learned that one, ladies and gentlemen. All right? Great. Thank you so much. All right. It is time for the question of the week. What should you do when a fox shows up? Kathy in Glenside, PA, home of the famed Keswick Theater, writes, I have a question about a fox. I noticed piles of droppings right up against the side of my house in loose dirt that doesn't have much in it besides some dormant spring bulbs. After doing some Googling, I'm confident that they are fox droppings. My local garden center did not have any advice on how to deter the fox, other than maybe some nighttime lighting. Any advice on how to rid myself of this creature? Well, when I got this email, I replied, why deter it? Your fox is eating mice, rats, and voles. Foxes are our friends. Now, raccoons are another matter entirely. Look up Wildlife Scat ID online and try and verify what you have. By the way, you should specify that you live in Pennsylvania or the Mid-Atlantic region so they don't suggest that it's armadillo or platypus poop. Kathy replied, I hadn't thought about it eating those kinds of pests. It's most definitely a fox. My biggest problem is that my yard is very small, and now it stinks. I already pick up enough poop between my dog and my cat. So, are fox droppings particularly hazardous health-wise? I'll use gloves in the garden in that area in the future, but I'm wondering if there's anything else I should be aware of since my three kids play in the yard, digging for worms and whatnot. To which I replied, well... Any soft-footed mammal, dogs, cats, foxes, coyote, raccoons, people, etc., can carry parasites that are excreted in their scat, which is a polite word for poop. Now, raccoon poop is really bad stuff, filled with parasites and disease spores. If you want to have disturbed sleep for the next couple of months, go online and find the PBS Nature episode on raccoons. But fox scat would be on the same level as your cat. Far from wholesome, but nowhere near as toxic as raccoon droppings. Now, your fox should move on when the food near your house is exhausted. So make sure your trash is in secure containers and don't feed your pets outside. Failing to do so is sure to also lure rats and raccoons to your home. So be diligent. And make sure that there aren't any openings under your home that the fox or other animals, especially skunks and groundhogs, could use as a den. If there are openings, fence or screen them off now before birthing time begins in the spring. Because if your fox is a female ready to produce pups, one of the cutest animal babies, she will be impossible to remove once they're born. Okay. As far as I can tell, it was a really busy January, that was the end of our correspondence. But I kept thinking about this topic. I know a lot about skunks, groundhogs, deer, raccoons, and other sometimes nuisance mammals, but my responses to Kathy were largely off-the-cup basic mammal advice, plus my observations of fox in our rural neighborhood, where seeing healthy ones always makes me happy. 
So first, I'll mention the unhealthy possibilities. The first is mange. Decades ago, a creature appeared in our backyard that I could not identify, other than that it was weak and looked really weird. It turned out to be a poor fox with a severe case of sarcopic mange, a condition caused by a nasty mite that infests the fur of creatures like dogs and foxes and can literally take them down to bare skin. It's a terrible sight. Having a fox that is missing some of its fur in your yard would be bad news for your dog and even your family. But if the fox looks healthy, it ain't mangy. And yes, that is where that expression comes from. The next negative possibility is tapeworms. Boy, this show's gone downhill fast. Which would be in your fox scat and could be transmitted to you, your pets, or your kids. The outward appearance of a fox with tapeworms would be unchanged, so you can't let anyone handle that soil barehanded. And the final possibility to make you all happy is rabies. Foxes are nocturnal animals, although I have seen healthy, playful ones romping through my woods in broad daylight, and I've seen them running across our rural roads during the day. But if a fox is showing itself constantly during the day, seems to have no fear of dogs or humans, or is just plain acting weird, it might be rabid, and you have no choice other than to contact an animal control specialist while you keep your pets, children, and yourself inside. Yes, the newer rabies vaccines that were pioneered by the Wistar Institute back in the late 70s are a vast improvement over the endless shots in the belly. But rabies is still best avoided. And that brings me to a point pertinent to people living in Pennsylvania and perhaps many other states and commonwealths as well. If you do call a professional to trap your animal in Pennsylvania, whether they are a private contractor or an employee of the state, they are required by law to euthanize it after capture to prevent the possible spread of rabies. The same is true of skunks, raccoons, coyotes, and groundhogs, none of which are as cute as foxes. So I would first try a motion-activated sprinkler. Every time the fox comes near your home, it would shoot cold water at the animal, perhaps convincing it to relocate. Well, that sure was a relatively unhelpful look at what to do when foxes put down stakes now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read the info over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be You Bet Your Garden. Oh, oh, gee. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to outfox me if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location in every email whether you think we need it or not. Now, you'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at youbetyourgarden.org. 
You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by John Cleese while reading obscure medical texts on the Waterloo line. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Please check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric, always Eric, is running the camera this week. Zach the Taquisneski, is, is he in the house? I haven't seen him in ages. He's around here somewhere. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, is late for so many meetings that he has been cast into a universe where Saturday is actually Friday and Robinson Caruso's friend is named Tuesday. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I have often been mistaken for Tuesday Well, and I'll freshen up my makeup. Actually, Carmen will do that for me. Fool no one and see you again next week. RuPaul, calling RuPaul. Oh, the heck with it. Let's just hear the lady scream and get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, this is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Seed starting time is fast approaching, and most so-called experts will urge you to bleach your containers to destroy disease. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll say hogwash to this ridiculous recommendation and walk you through the stages of successful seed starting. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.